0: Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about how we can live in the idea of Black Mental Health Matters. We read Black Mental Health Matters, published in Counseling Today 2020. Heather, one of the first points that really stood out to us was the importance of
1: context. Right. And when you look at context, it's going to be important to note that for each individual, it's different. Even though you might be the same background or the same race, your experience isn't could be different just by your upbringing, by your life experience you've already had.
0: Mm-hmm. I think you and I are always thinking about supervision first, then, and our interaction with clients, and also our own personal interactions. That right. in of itself, that's three different contexts mm-hmm. in this really complicated system. Some examples that I thought of uh, recently that have come up that I felt have really helped me to change my perspective, look at things differently. A friend of mine, she and I have gone. We went to school from the time we were in second grade, and we finished high school together. So we went awesome. to school for a long time together, and which means she lived close enough to my house that we were in the same schools right the whole time. The whole time, and when black lives matters became more predominant and was more a topic of discussion more often she started talking to me about some of her experiences growing up and again we lived right in such close proximity to each other but she described that in our little town which i felt like was a pretty safe happy place to grow up in that she was re- she and her family were really victimized wow in ways that were so personal and so scary that I, that even hearing her talk about it all these years later was shocking to me. Mm-hmm. She said that when they moved into the neighborhood that she had to have been seven or eight, right. that someone poured gasoline around the outer perimeter of her house, put something like she thought maybe it was now looking back, she thinks maybe it was like petroleum jelly or something oh. on the doorknobs. Oh. So you couldn't, open you mm-hmm. couldn't grab the doorknobs easily. And that they left a note that said something like, leave. Wow. And even when she described it at first, I didn't put all those pieces together. And then she had to really spell it out for me. Duh, Sarah. Mm-hmm. They were sending a message that right. they would burn the house down. Right. If they didn't and leave. the the, right. the not being able to get the doorknobs meant that somebody would not be able to get in to help mm-hmm. them
1: mm-hmm. quickly. Right. That's so
0: and I thought that was just a couple blocks away, right?
1: And you didn't know about it. And like, I didn't you, know about
0: right. it. She didn't talk about. It. I was so unaware mm-hmm. of any of those things happening in such a personal way to her and her family. And to think then about their reaction—that was right when they moved into the neighborhood and they didn't leave, right? So what it would have felt like to look around and think someone close to me did, someone physically close to me did this to me, my family. Mm-hmm. And we're still here. And I would assume that whoever did it to their family was probably still around. right? So for me, that was a lot of context. That's a great example. That I lived so close and was so unaware on so many levels.
1: Right. And you didn't pick up, even as you got older, that there was anything different.
0: Certainly not in the same way. Even as a teenager in our cute little town, had some awareness that there was disparity. Mm -hmm. I'm not some awareness. There was a lot of awareness that there was disparity, but not in all the ways that she was aware.
1: Right. Her context was very different than yours, Mm -hmm. even living in the same community. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Heather, that's one that hits really close to home for
0: me, but I'm hearing lots of stories like that in... Media. Mm -hmm. Have you come across any examples that you can remember that stood out to you?
1: As you were talking, actually, it reminded me of a friend of mine who was new to our school, moving in, and we've stayed friends through this whole time. And she told me it had to be twenty years later. Well, you were the only girl that would talk to me, and I was like, "Why? No idea. Like, (laughs) why?" But I had no idea. And she Mm -hmm. goes, "Well, because I'm—I was different. I was very different." And I was like, "Well, yes. I grew up in a very white community, so." Mm She was different, but I felt like that was like, to me, especially as a fifth grader, like intriguing, like, ooh, what? Mm -hmm. Tell me, you're from Hawaii and you have, like, she was, to me, this beautiful, different person to grow up with. She looked
0: different. She was interesting. But I had
1: no idea until later the things that she faced from that. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that any other people might have interpreted the differences in her
0: Or how she was treated because of those differences,
1: right? And just simply put, her experience in life, like her, she grew up in a house where you took your shoes off immediately. Like you, her Mm -hmm. front doorstep was shoes. You didn't even Mm -hmm. take your shoes in the house, Mm -hmm. and that was her norm. And so Mm -hmm. she'd come into my house and kick off her shoes, shoes. and she'd go, "Oh, I forget." But it was what she was comfortable with. But I didn't realize that simple things like that Mm -hmm. people had some pretty strong reactions to. Mm -hmm. Like that sounds like a silly little thing, but she said it did. It caused hiccups, little like, happy things, not even a negative, Mm -hmm. can cause her experience to be so different from what I grew up with.
0: Heather, recently a story that I was made aware of that, similar to the one that I told about growing up, was close, physically close Mm -hmm. to where I'm at. A family who lives close to where my office is right now, where my office is, predominantly upper middle class, white. This mom, she is married to a Black man. She has two biracial teenagers. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about her experience where she lives right, with her family. And specifically, I think that it just hit home to me because of the simplicity of this example. She said both of her kids are smart, good kids. They make good grades. They're in sports and different right. activities. And that one of her kids is a pretty good athlete. Mm-hmm. And so whichever season is happening in high school sports. If it's when it's basketball, he plays basketball. When it's football, he plays football. He's pretty (laughs) athletic all around. So he enjoys all the different sports and that usually the school issued uh, uniform stuff Mm -hmm. has like a t-shirt with the logo on the front jersey Mm -hmm. with whatever sport he's playing and a hoodie with the school Mm -hmm. mascot on the front and that she has told him he's not allowed to wear the hoodies. Oh, and I thought, Man, how many of those dumb school hoodies do I have from having played school sports? And yeah, that makes sense that you would Mm -hmm. say it's not a good idea for you, you know, because she said he goes to the park and plays basketball with his friends and he rides his bike over Mm -hmm. to see a friend or something and that she doesn't want him wearing the hoodie. Right. And that how that might be misunderstood or he, how he might be misrepresented just because he's wearing his hoodie. Mm-hmm. And how ridiculous that the hoodie that he wants to wear it's has like his,
1: a high school emblem. And, right. Yeah.
0: Has a high school mascot on the mm-hmm. front. And the two of them have discussions about it a lot because he wants to wear his school right. hoodie. And it's comfortable. And, right. And she says no. <laughs> yeah. Such a everyday activity Simplicity. that she's asked him
1: not to right. do because she's... That fearful for his safety. Right. And she has that awareness to know, like, oh, I better be a little protective of this because mm-hmm. the world isn't always a safe place.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heather, so our examples so far have to do more with current context. Mm-hmm. An example that I heard recently that I really got me thinking had more historical context. Okay. And I think you would like it. And I think I like it because it feels uh, like play, a little play therapy esque. <laughs> But an example that I heard was if you were playing Monopoly with someone Mm -hmm. and you played, let's say, 10 times you each took turns playing. And so I took a turn, you took a turn, and we do that 10 times. And for those first 10 times, I wasn't allowed to have any money or any property. Mm. And any money or any property that I got in those first 10 turns not only did I not get it, but I had to give it to you. Right. Okay. So after having played a lot, mm-hmm. I'm, I said 10, but after having played for a long time, the rules change mm-hmm. and I, as I'm playing, I can earn money and earn property, but you're still going to take all the good
1: properties. I'm taking all the good ones.
0: Right. And you're going to get a big chunk of my money. Okay. So mm-hmm. gave good historical context mm-hmm. for our country mm-hmm. and that even now, when our world is saying well it's fair you can earn money and you right. can have property well yeah i'm but i'm so far behind right
1: you're already trying to catch up
0: right can it's you not, i mean starting at the maybe same maybe that's the part i really related to because i play a lot of monopoly with kids right that if you get really behind the game's over right there's no way to catch up if you're exactly if the other person has a giant stack of monopoly money mm-hmm. and you've got
1: Yeah, a 10, a five, some ones. The game's over. I love that example. I can already think of ways that I could use that.
0: Mm -hmm. But it just gave me really good Mm -hmm. context, right? That I thought that makes complete sense to me in my play therapy brain. Right. There's no catching up.
1: Mm -hmm. You're not gonna, there's already a winner. Mm -hmm. Heather, the second
0: point that we noticed in our article this week was that self-awareness and honesty,
1: we need to have self-awareness and honesty around bias. What were your thoughts when you read that? Instantly, I was reminded of my essay I wrote for my entrance to grad school. Mm. So I wrote a very honest essay for grad school. And partially when I was writing it, I remember thinking, they're either going to love this or hate this, but it's real. So mm-hmm. here we go. Yeah. I grew up in a very white, predominant neighborhood, like community not just neighborhood community. I did not even experience a relationship with anyone outside of my race. So I was probably maybe like fifth gradish, like fifth or sixth grade, mm-hmm. like did not. And even that was very like in a bubble. It was very tiny. I think my high school, the four years that I was there, maybe there were three black families. So I really had no context. Mm-hmm. And I was applying for a grad school that was in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So I was not exactly in my element by putting this out there on the line, like, look, I grew up, I can't even remember exactly what the question was, but it asked about your family growing up and what you could relate to. And I pretty much said, I grew up in this small bubble world and I need to experience more. I need Mm -hmm. to know, I need to understand more at a depth about why and what. And I had a a call for curiosity just about learning different cultures, but also understanding like the deeper things like the why. I wish Mm -hmm. I'd had the monopoly example. Mm-hmm. Back then. But I remember writing it and then I remember sending it in and going, okay, whatever. Yeah, here we go. Right. And I got into grad school and it was great and wonderful. However, that paper came back to haunt me. Really? Yes. In my very last semester of grad school, after I really did have a lot more experience and had taken all the multicultural class mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, done all those things, it came back to bite me because our colleagues in school got to read our Ooh. papers. Yeah. So, I was paired up with a friend that I had met and we'd become good friends through grad school. And she was black and she read my paper and she went, Oh, wow. And you know what you said right there? Like, Oh, okay, please forgive me. It wasn't Mm -hmm. that I, it literally was lack of awareness, but Mm -hmm. it was also I was being raw and in the moment. And her corrections to me, and when we talked about it and explained like where I was coming from, she was so gracious and so wonderful and so understood more. And when I read hers, it was like, Oh, wow, we're from, I would have thought we were pretty so much the same, uh-huh. but we still weren't. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was really an interesting experience altogether. Hmm. Well, Heather, I when I read that part of
0: the article, I also reflected on my experience in grad school. And I thought about the attempt in the multicultural class to expose us to varieties of different experiences, cultures, backgrounds. It was lame. Like looking at you going, yeah. this was not. It was so... <laughs> one dimensional. I'm pretty sure one of our assignments in that class was to watch a movie from a different background with a different culture and then write about it. There's no way around it. It's going to be full of stereotypes. It's going to be one dimensional. It's going to be one person's, mostly one person's experience. Not a good example of broadening your perspective. That's interesting.
1: Mine was a little different, but it might've been partially because it was Los Angeles, but in my class it was a hard class for me it wasn't easy it mm-hmm. wasn't a knockoff class but we had to go to all different we we had to go to different festivals we had to go to different like cultural events that were like relevant not mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. stereotype mm-hmm. stuff and we also were encouraged to go to different restaurants and go try different things we hadn't tried before but when I look back at that experience, I feel like I gained a lot. But again, I was behind the curve with my experience mm. on the multicultural. Oh, so maybe it's spectrum. like
0: someone who's never been in a grocery store and they walk in the grocery store and like, right. whoa, exactly. wow, there's so many, like, oh, so man. many options right. here because you just never had anything like that. Maybe that's true. Maybe I felt like my experience in my multicultural class was lame because I had more mm-hmm. context, right? But I do remember out of all of the college classes I've ever taken. Two, maybe, did I ever think this was a horribly taught class, Mm -hmm. and that was one of them. But you're right. Maybe that was because I had different contexts going into it. Mm -hmm. I also, maybe I've mentioned it on the podcast before. In my master's program, I was a graduate assistant for someone who was doing research and the focus of their research was minority students in majority situations and oh, vice yes. versa. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That was a really poor experience also. Mm-hmm. But the things that I took away from our article and this idea of self-awareness and honesty around bias was how do we do better and how do we do more than we were doing before? Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe is a, the crux of my why I didn't enjoy those classes right. and that research experience the people that I was around or the people who were facilitating those experiences had perspective and had context, but were they pushing themselves to do more and do better and mm-hmm. make themselves more aware? I don't think that they were. Right.
1: It was just like meeting a requirement, check the box. Mm-hmm. We covered multiculturalism.
0: Mm-hmm. I think you were doing that in your essay. I mm-hmm. think you were pushing yourself to do more, experience more by saying, I don't know. Right. Right. I don't think the people I was involved in grad school, my professors, the faculty there, I don't think they were saying, I don't know, how can I do better? Mm -hmm. I think the attitude was closer to, I already know, let me show you.
1: Right. Let me show you this way.
0: So thinking about that, I think that's how that this topic really touches on supervision. How do you get your supervisees to think about how do I do better? How do I do more?
1: I think I do push with supervisees to ask them if they've asked the questions, if they don't go in with a mindset Uh of like they know it all or they Uh know what that's like. The example that you gave with the family where the mom doesn't let her boys wear their hoodies, that's so important. And maybe a new supervisee wouldn't even have awareness to that. So it's like Uh asking them to ask the why question, Uh like asking them to think deeper about what does that mean for that family, for that situation, not just what your experience has been. Uh
0: I think it means sometimes I say to my supervisors,
1: I don't know. Right. I think you have
0: to, right? Or tell me your experience or tell me mm-hmm. what you know about that mm-hmm. to show them that I can do that, but also that they should be doing that. Absolutely. As well. Heather, the third point in our article was find a voice, finding voice and value. Mm-hmm. And I think in the article it meant that someone who feels disparity does not feel like they have voice and value. Right. One of the questions I asked myself was, I wonder when this has happened to me, where I felt like I didn't have voice or value and also appreciating and realizing it can't possibly compare to the the black experience of not having voice and value, but that to the degree that I have felt it and how hard it was for me, Mm -hmm. imagine
1: what it feels like for somebody else. Well, and just the longevity, like the history of it, Mm -hmm. if you felt that time and time again, in multiple situations, not just like a one off, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't feel valued in that moment. But if you felt not valued in every moment, what that really looks like. Mm
0: -hmm. How can you and I not being black help other people to find voice and
1: value? I think trying harder to relate to people's experiences, we may not understand exactly what it's like for someone not to be able to wear the clothing they want to wear. Mm -hmm. But we can relate to what it feels like, not to be able to do a simple task, like not being able to just do something that we want to do, like a simple task, like mm-hmm. relating more to the underlying issue, not just the. Well, it's just a hoodie. Get over it. That kind of thing, like relating deeper to what does it feel? What What is the feeling around it? What is the emotional
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, connection yeah. to it?
0: I think for me, I'm imagining like the mom and her mm-hmm. kids and wearing hoodies. I don't know that person personally. But if I did, I think the difference for me would be, what if I tried to convince her that they could wear hoodies? Right. That would not be allowing her to find her voice and value. But if instead she tells me about telling her kids they can't wear their hoodies and how she feels about it and the kids just wanting to wear their hoodies, just being frustrated and disappointed that when the rest of the team says okay let's all wear our hoodies to school tomorrow mm-hmm. these boys aren't that instead of trying to convince her that they could and it wouldn't be that big a deal instead listening mm-hmm. and letting it settle and letting that feeling settle in for me that's how scared it feels for her how scary right. it feels for her right that her kids can't wear their school issued mm-hmm. hoodies i think that takes us to our final point Less talk more action right so we're talking about that in grads, maybe beginning in grad school, certainly that wasn't the very first right. step. But we did a lot of that kind of process in, in grad school where we talked about it and thought about it and talked about it some more. How can we now have less talk, more action? What does that actually look like? What's some What are some concrete examples?
1: I'm going to go an easy one is be involved. Reach out for what you don't know. Find those people that you'd have in consultation groups. Make Mm. your people that you talk to be diverse. You don't want to just have the same person giving you advice That's, of course, you're going to say that you're my friend or you like me or our experience has been so much the same. You'll have the same opinion and tell me, good job, Heather. That's not Mm -hmm. what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. We're looking for someone that's going to give a different opinion in consultation groups. We're going to expose ourselves clinically at a different level, not just like taking the next multicultural CE that comes around, but actually doing those things, Mm -hmm. being involved in the community. I think this was hard for
0: me because I think about the things that I'm doing now that I intentionally did because I think it did make me more accessible. Mm -hmm. More open, hopefully less biased, right? And asking myself, okay, that's all that's good, but how do you do more? more? Right? I'm stumped there. Mm -hmm. I really have to spend some time trying to find ways, some easy ways that I think counselors have thought about for a long time and do. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You have a website that reflects uh, cultural diversity, right? Right. How many of us are doing that? It's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Probably people have been doing that for a long time now. Okay, that's already there. Mm -hmm. I've already done that. What could I do that's more. Right. Thinking about, and truthfully, I would drag my feet, but making myself more available to families who work nine to five and need to meet outside of that time. Right. And I would go, really? And being honest, I would go, ah, but I don't want to meet outside of that time. Mm -hmm. So that might be an example, but there are other examples. Mm -hmm. I'm just stuck. Well, I think we could
1: all all be doing better. I think it's something Mm -hmm. that especially in America, we could do better about, we can be more aware. But I think it's about being willing to take those steps. Like you said, you might be dragging your feet, but you would do it. I think that's a great insight to like, you're aware that it might be a need and you mm-hmm. might need to do that. And so it's something that you wouldn't do as an overall like, oh, this is how I fixed it. Here's my Band-Aid. But you're like, I'm gonna be aware of these things that come up. I'm gonna be aware in my community what I can do to be more in contact, to live more in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Heather, this is a work in progress. We are a work in progress. I think you and I, through reading this and talking to each other about it, are still thinking about ways that we can do more and do better. Right. Well, thanks today for listening to Supervision with a Vision. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.